Welcome to P.S. Blossom, a podcast series driven by purpose and the belief that each of us has the power to transform the world for the better. We are here to be a catalyst for activism. We believe empowering individuals empowers communities. We also recognize that unless we engage in the issues of race, gender, and class within reproductive and maternal health, we cannot be a part of the solution. Our goal with P.S. Blossom is to empower all women, especially Black, Indigenous, and women of color, to advocate for their health care their way. These are conversations creating change. Well, hello. We are so excited to kick off P.S. Blossom, a podcast series brought to you by Blossom and produced by Rhea Ventures. I am Victoria Griffin and my co-host today, C. Devone. We are producers of this lovely new podcast. I'm going to give you a little background about the show and the brand. What is Blossom? Blossom is a brand built to empower all women, especially Black, Indigenous women of color, to advocate for their health care their way. We are all here because we believe empowering individuals empowers communities. We also recognize that unless we engage the issues, we cannot be a part of the solution. Our goal with this series is to bring awareness to public health issues and embolden individuals to take positive action. Blossom is incubated within Rhea Ventures, a women-led social impact organization that seeks to create a vibrant, equitable market for women's sexual, reproductive, and maternal health. P.S. Blossom explores the complex intersections of reproductive health, racial equity, innovation, and impact investing. These are conversations creating change. Yes, these are conversations creating change. And we are so excited to kick off this lovely podcast. Thank you, Victoria, for telling us more about Blossom. And welcome to P.S. Blossom, guys. And today we are talking about family. We are talking about the meaning of family and why we are doing this topic is because family is the backbone of society. Many families come together and we have cultures, institutions, economies, but women are historically the caregiver. They create children, they create families. They are the source of the womb and also what that looks like during COVID as well. So as Black women, we really want to talk about the meaning of family and just how important it is and the whole scope of it womanhood, the value of womanhood, etc. I'm going to introduce our special guest for today. We have Monica Simpson, who is executive director of Sister Song. So before uh, she talks, I just want to tell you a little bit about Sister Song. It is a birth justice team. It was stormed in fall of 2019 as a response to maternal mortality rates impacting Southern states, especially Georgia. I live in Atlanta now, y'all. So that's great. Uh, The team began programming with advanced doula skills training. At the time, it was named the Maternal Health Awareness Training. This training was designed to teach basic skills that monitor a pregnant woman's health for birthing and postpartum, highlighting the postpartum period, etc. Sister Song, like you said, is based in the South, membership organization. And I'm going to have Monica tell a little bit more about that because this is well needed. And also I want to hear more about the reproductive justice and artists united that is part of the organization. So introducing Monica Simpson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. This is so exciting. Yes, so excited. Tell us about Sister Song. We want to really know about you and the organization before we kick into the show. 
For sure. I've been a sister song now for a decade, a whole decade. It's been a big part of my adult life. And I was introduced to sister song back in 2007 at the U.S. Social Forum. At the time, I was doing a lot of work around abolishing for-profit private prisons and immigrant detention centers and doing a lot of work around LGBTQ liberation. And a friend of mine said, I think that you should come and hear about this work of reproductive justice. And I was like, let me check this out. And I remember hearing Loretta Ross speak for the first time and, and really talking about this work in a way that I had never heard anyone talking about movement work before. Sister Song has been in existence since 1997, and it was created as a women of color collective with Black, Indigenous, Asia Pacific Islander women, Latinas coming together to build their collective power around their issues impacting their communities for their reproductive freedom. And the reproductive justice framework was actually developed by Black women a few years before that in 1994. There were 12 Black women that came together that realized the way in which a lot you know, a lot of the white mainstream organizations were talking about reproductive health and rights was very void of the very real social justice issues that come into play as people of color in particular are making decisions around their reproductive lives. And so they combined this work of reproductive health and rights with social justice, creating reproductive justice. And they rooted that work in the human rights framework. So that framework was carried into the work of Sister Song a few years later. And that's the work that we've been building on now for well over 20 years. And I honestly tell people all the time, as a person who's been in movement work now for, since I was a teenager, but you know, just a long time, it feels like at this point. Uh, this was one of the first movements where I felt like I could bring all parts of myself into the room at the same time. I, it allows me to bring my identity, my, my gender, my womb, my body, like it centers all of that. And for me, that, that holistic approach, that more intersectional approach to how these Black women and these women of color were, were talking about their lives was absolutely exactly where I knew I, where I needed to be. And I found my political home here. So yeah, that's a little bit more about Sister Song and and how Sister Song came to be. And our birth justice work, as you as you just mentioned, really came online and as a direct response to what was happening with COVID. We were you really trying to find a way to best support our communities. And we know that maternal mortality is something that we're battling. We know that, that our healthcare system is failing Black women, failing women of color as it pertains to our reproductive health care, because racism is real even in the healthcare system. And so we knew that COVID was the time that we needed to dig deeper into our communities. And so the birth justice care team was developed in. So I have to give mad love to that team, Leah Jones, Sakisa Berry, Shanti Moore, who really came together at Sister Song to birth this work, to be able to support our communities that, that were in need. Great. Wow, Monica, that was amazing. And we're going to hop right into the questions. Just based on everything you just said, what do you think of the Black family dynamic? It's such a big question, but such an important question. First of all, I mean, family on, on a personal level, like family is so important to me. Like my family is my everything. I grew up in a small rural town um, in North Carolina where family dynamics were just so important and the foundation for our communities. Families knew everybody. Your family name is what carried you right in community. And so I think when I think about the, the term in its broadest sense, to me, it's about the system of care. Family is about the system of care that's created to provide, to support, to protect. 
each other. That's kind of like how I think about it again in its broadest term. It's like that system of care protection. And it looks so different. I think that we've seen the definition of family shift so much over the years. I grew up in a single parent household and that was considered like non-traditional. But for me, it was very traditional. It's exactly what I needed. It's, and, and so my mother was there, my grandmother was there, and I had everything that I needed to be able to do what I needed to do and to be who I needed to be. But that was considered non-traditional because what the, the family has been defined through this very, again, white supremacist, unfortunately, lens of like, you need to have mom, dad, children, like that 2.15 children. And we've had to like really smash that because that has never been the norm for Black folks, for f- folks of color. We're more cultural, we're more communal. And I think that is the story for a lot of Black people um, in this country. It takes a village to raise a child. And so aunties and uncles and cousins and extended family were a part of the family. When we think about that across cultures, I think it's the same thing, right? When we look at Native Indigenous communities, when we look at Latina um, and Latinx communities, when we think about Asian Pacific Islander folks, it's very cultural and it's blended in a way. And I also think that when I think about family, we've had to see the evolution of family, again, not just from the cultural perspective, from communities of color, but just thinking about the ways in which family has shifted, where there are same-sex couples and there are couples who are who identify across the spectrum of LGBTQ, all of that. And so family has just always, for me, been this larger system of support um, because that's just been my own lived experience personally. Yes. And I feel like we've seen that village concept in different types of families on television. You have everything from The Cosby Show to Family Matters to Blackish, that show straight off the boat. So, fresh off the boat. Oh, fresh <laughs> off the boat. <laughs> I love that show. So. It was a great show. I didn't like the name of it, though, for some reason. It just didn't sit well with me. And maybe that's just me being too sensitive. Yeah, um, he just talked about he was just on The Breakfast Club. and He was just talking about like the back, uh, like the corporate behind like that. <sighs> yeah, it was what he said it was a really like bad experience, like working and yeah. try to get that show off. But that's just racist antics, you know. But yeah. Given that there are so many different family dynamics and given your upbringing with like a single parent household, I also had that type of household. Actually, my household went from being mom and dad to single parent household. And so I, I recognize that shift that was there and it was a double shock for me. So for you, what do you define as a family? And Crystal, add to this as well. I just, because my experience was so different, I just have to also throw like good times up in there too. When we think about like other shows and things over the years, it's shown like the different types of Black family. Because there's a lot that I identified with in the household of good times. And I remember looking at the Cosby's as like this aspirational place of where I want it to be. So that was always an interesting dynamic, right? Of just like seeing how that shows up. And even when I look at Blackish today, I think about the same thing. But I think even across all of those shows, and we can definitely debate those for hours upon hours, I'm sure, for all the reasons. But when I think about what, as, what is at the root of what family means to me, it is love. That is something that I know what I felt, even in times where we didn't have what we needed. Whenever, whatever it was, I knew that that was the, that's what was keeping our family 
together, despite what was happening in the world or what we had or didn't have or anything. And I think that that's something that you can see if we are looking at those shows as examples, that that's at the root of all of it in a, in a place where they were keeping their head above water to, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, to, you know, a family with a doctor and a lawyer where they're like trying to deal with all of just family dynamics, love was still at the core. And so when I think about my own definition of family, it is about, it's rooted in love, really. Like who is loving, who's loving who? And then if that, if if people are connected through love, that to me is family. When I was coming out to my college years and really trying to find myself and find community, because again, I grew up in this small rural town and there wasn't really a lot of examples for me to look to in terms of the folks who identified as lesbian, gay, trans, anything like that. But I had to find family. And so my family grew. It went beyond just my biological family and it grew to a community of folks who understood me for the person I was, I was becoming, right? And like finding out more about. And so those folks, so those young folks and folks from the club and from all the other places I was trying to find refuge and safety and love became my family too. And so again, it's not just about biological family, like who, what family you're born into. It's about the, the community of folks and folks who are coming together to provide love and support and protection for you. Again, that's, what's, that's what defines family for me. It sounds like the definition of soul family. You nailed it on the head, like with love. I'm super close to my family, but I do aspire to have that blackish, black AF, I like that show too, type of love and have maybe like one kid. And, but also like, I just appreciate it, like love. And it's funny because I have uncles, the one just passed and they are, they're gay. They were married for about 20 plus years and they were, they call, I call them the uncles, but they were like my father. I literally would say like dad, like dads, because like I had that type of love, even to the point where I'm sitting on the blanket, like they like gave me, like I'm just that attached to them. So the love is just really what's important. And I, I, I felt that one, especially since I just moved. So I'm like missing my family and I just know how important that like love is to have. And it is nice to have that dynamic. That's what we've had to lean on in, in these times of this global pandemic and what we've had to separate from each other and not have those connections. We've had to lean on the, our, our, it's like, how much love had, did you have stored up? You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> we had to pull on those reserves over this past year to really make it through. And so I'm really grateful that I have such a close relationship with my family. They love me. We've journeyed through so much with each other. Even when I came out, I wouldn't tell you something, y'all. When I came out, I was adamant. I was like, look, I know I'm going to have to deal with a lot in this world because I am a Black woman who was a lesbian, who was from the South, who was all the things. But what I'm not going to do is lose my family because of this. And so I was very militant with my family. I'm like, look, I know y'all don't understand this gay thing. That's cool, but I'm going to show up to every family function with my girlfriend. Y'all are going to get used to it. This cannot be a thing that separates us as a family because I know that I need them and I know that they need me. And so it wasn't always comfortable. Family dynamics are not always comfortable. (laughs) They're just not. But again, if you're rooted in love and you're committed to that, then I feel like that's what can carry you through anything. And that's absolutely what carried them through journeying with me to me being the woman that I am and doing the work that I do. And Monica, that's you raise a good point. I also want to speak to the those that are like you have the family that is rooted within love and then you have those 
that have the, that challenge of love. And for them, they can't get past that loving you for who you are. And so there's like detachment between families. And then to your point earlier, connecting with those outside of family that you can find that love with that you feel are they can be your family, I think is just as that concept of love is just as powerful. Oh, I feel like we touched on traditional family versus today's family. So Monica, the many ways in which people can become a parent and build their family, what do you think that looks like? I think there are some folks who are really committed to the traditional, I want to get married, I want to have a child with my partner. And whether that is a heterosexual relationship or same gender loving relationship or across the spectrum. And that's the way that my mother really, that's what she wanted. She said, you go to college, then you get married, then you have the baby. Like that was stuck in my head forever until now I'm 41 and still want to have a child. And I'm like, but but I'm so not in the way that my mama told me to do it. Still working through that in therapy, but we're working it out. But what I will say <laughs> is people do choose that conventional route. And then there are some folks who are like, I just really want a baby. If I have a partner, that's dope. But my primary focus is to be a parent. And so there are some folks who choose to go the fertility route, to get artificially inseminated, to do all the different things that they choose to do to create their family. Because for them, family is about parenthood, not about partnership, right? And so there's that way of doing things. And then there's the ways of like, yo, we just got it in one night because sexual freedom is a thing and I should be able to do what I need to do. And maybe I want to take the plan B. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to have an abortion. Maybe I don't. And so some folks come into parenthood and to, to, to family in that dynamic, right? Where it's like they get to make their decisions however they want to make their decisions and all of the ways that people come into parenting. And there's so many other ways all in between, whether it's super intentional or not so intentional. And so co-parenting is a big thing these days where folks are just like, we're committed to being co-parents. We're not going to ever be together, but we're going to hold down this kid and or children and do that to the best of our ability to love and protect them. And I think the all ways are good. And folks should not be shamed for any way that they decide to come into family or happen to come into creating family. I think that's the bigger thing for me is the way that some of these ways that folks have become parents have had a lot of shame following them. And that's the work of that. We work so hard to dismantle in this reproductive justice work that we do because reproductive justice is a more holistic way of talking about our our reproductive lives. It's about us being able to have the children that we want and the ways that we want. So using midwives and doulas and to be able to prevent or end pregnancies without shame and with dignity, to be able to parent our children in healthy and safe environments, free from violence from any individual or the state. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You touched on the stigma piece and the shame piece that comes with creating a family. And I think that's part of the barrier to people learning learning more about their reproductive health. The reproductive health equals family. It's not like, oh, reproductive health is about your own health and wellness. It's like, no, you're yes. just making a baby. And that's not the case. No, reproductive health is about babies. For some, it's about pleasure. Can we just say that to folks? Like some folks just really want to get the pleasure that they want in the ways that they want to. Having sex doesn't always have to yield a baby. Right. Yeah, we've had to really break those things down over the years because people really believe that the only time you're supposed to have sex is to create a child. Speaking of creating a child, let's talk doulas. Yay, doulas. (laughs) First, I want you to describe what a doula is because I 
don't like operating off the assumption that everyone knows what a doula is. And so what is a doula? What is the importance of and benefit of having a doula? Yeah, I was introduced to it in a very non-traditional way. My little sister was pregnant 10 years ago and I knew she was pregnant before she knew she was pregnant. That's how connected I am to this, to my nephew. I love this little boy. But I became her assistant. I was there at the doctor's visits. I was looking at all the things with her, helping her understand her food, all of that, as much as I could with the limited knowledge I had at the time. And I remember her going into labor. She had some complications and I wanted to be an advocate for her. I wanted to be more of an advocate for her, but I didn't have the language. I didn't have the knowledge that I now have. And I made a decision at that point, And it was right when I was entering into work at Sister Song, to be quite honest, that if I had anything to do with it, that, that no other Black woman that I know would have to experience what my little sister experienced in that hospital of not being able to have the type of birth that she wanted. And that took me on this quest of wanting to learn more about birth and birth justice and all of that. And that's what brought me into the understanding of doulas and midwives and just really deepened my knowledge there. And so I went through a training with the International Center for Traditional Childbirth, which is ran by midwife Fia Monroe out in Oregon. And she's worked with Erica Badu. She's worked with so many amazing people. And that's where I came into my understanding of truly what birth work has meant for Black women over the, the, the decades. And so doulas are really birthing assistants, right? They walk the walk with you and your family to your birth and beyond your birth. So they are there checking your vitals. They are there to support you through your nutrition. They help you integrate your child into your home. They're there to support you while you're in labor. They have, we're taught different practices to support the mother through the contractions, through the pain, through their, their fear and anxiety. And they're there to also hold, and in this day and time in particular, to hold the medical professionals, quote unquote, <laughs> hopefully you're getting the best of care, but, but to hold those people accountable, right? For your life and for what's important, the most important thing, the life of your child and your life, right? In those moments, you know, childbirth is a beautiful thing, but it is a huge undertaking for a woman to bring a child into the world. There's a lot going on in your belly, in your body, everywhere. And so to have someone there to not just be there because they love you, but to be there because their job is to ensure that you and your baby are healthy and safe is really what a doula is all about. And doulas, we, the terminology is a little weird for some folks, right? It's something that I feel like is getting more understood in our communities. But even if you take the word away, we've had them since the beginning of time. Black women are the architects and the experts of childbirth in this country and grand midwives in particular in the South. It's where the practice in the that we now know as OBGYN care started with Black women and absolutely off of the bodies of Black women, but that's a whole other conversation as well. But, you know, that's really what a, a doula is about. It's about being able to have someone there to support you, to ensure that you and your baby go home to your family, <laughs> to be quite honest, and doing everything in their power to make sure that's possible. And it's a beautiful thing. I, I wish I could do more doulaing. I'm grateful I've had the, the training and, and to be able to be connected to this beautiful birth justice community. But it's so important to have that support system. And I think that especially in these times of COVID, it's been a scary time for mamas bringing babies into the world. So that's why it was important for us with our birth justice work to 
to create more opportunities for more Black women, more women of color, uh, more people of color and birthing folks to be able to have access to that education so that we are doing our part to contribute to increasing the number of birth workers, of doulas, to be able to support families in need. And to to piggyback off of that, do you see more Black women actually having a doula? Because I just kind of got introduced to, and the only friends and family that I know who had doulas are people who were doing very well, six figures or more. So when I think about having a doula, I think about having a level of success, which is really crazy and almost so backwards because if we were the ones who were being a doula and like the midwives and all these things, yet we're like, okay, well, I live in a low socioeconomic background. I can't afford a doula. It's just, it's so, I don't know, help me out with that. Like, do we see black women using them? You spoke about the importance and now we know that it's so important. But if you are, you know, a single mom trying to raise a child, have multiple kids, can't afford it. What how do we get access to that? Yeah, a lot more folks getting doulas and, and working with midwives in our community. And that's a beautiful thing. We just had a drive through baby shower <laughs> at Sister Saw. And mamas and folks were coming through you know, to pick up goods for their families. And we were having conversations with them because we use it as organizing opportunity as well, just to kind of see what's happening in the community. And more, I was hearing more pregnant folks and mamas say, yeah, I have a doula already. And so it is, I think that the more we normalize this conversation, right, the more that we create the culture shift necessary to like center these conversations, then it's opening it up for more folks. And so there are many doula collectives all across this country. We do our part here in Atlanta to support with the Atlanta Doula Collective as a partner as well. But all across the country, Ancient Song Doula Services in New York, I mean, the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, which I'm a proud you know, board member of, has a huge network of birth workers and folks working on birth equity across the country. That is a beautiful resource for folks. So the people are there. And so our, our hope that more folks get tapped into these networks like Sister Song, Black Life Mamas Matter, Life and National Birth Equity Collective. Like there's so many amazing Black women-led entities across this country who are leading reproductive justice and birth justice work that we just want more folks to know about because the resources are there. And there are people who are willing to work with low-income folks, folks who need pro bono services. There's so many ways, right? The folks are able to get the care that they need. And in some states, there's also a lot of work on the policy side of things where there's more insurance reimbursements for doulas and things like that. We need more advocates to be at our state houses and demanding that these state legislatures are increasing these maternal health care budgets so that we could get more access on our communities around lactation consultants, all of that, not just doulas, but people helping people understand how to walk through their breastfeeding journey and all of that. We need it all. The downside to this is that Black women are dying at a rate three times, four, t- four times higher than white women in childbirth. So that alone, and that statistic, which is work that Sister Song did back in 2014 with the Center for Reproductive Rights on really getting to the root causes of this rising maternal mortality um, in this country, really helps us to bring those stats and to bring those numbers to our state houses, to the federal government to say, we we have another pandemic going on here. Black women are dying, just trying to bring their babies into the world. We have the data, we have the stats to be able to push the policy that we need. But absolutely, there is a growing number of folks really stepping into their power as birth workers. And so I'm really loving to see that. But there are more people who are looking for these services and accessing the services as well. 
So you touched on the maternal mortality rates. And my question around that is since the birth equity movement started, Mm. have you seen a reduction in maternal mortality and morbidity rates in BIPOC communities? I think we have a long way to go. Victoria, I do. I think that the conversation has definitely shifted. I think that more resources are starting to move towards this work. I think that more elected officials and people in positions of power, more healthcare professionals, right, are paying attention and actually owning the fact that racism is killing Black women in so many ways, and in particular in childbirth. And so I see the shifts happening. I do think that in some places, though, we, we're seeing an increase still. And in some places, we're not seeing the decline in the ways that we need to. So my answer to that is that we still have a long way to go. But I do think that the shifts are, are real, right? And I do think that, again, the conversation has moved us in a way that more folks are, again, paying attention. And so therefore, it's giving us a lot more momentum than we've had in years past. Yeah, You spoke to the numbers, I think, so clearly. And I think, like you said, there, even with the the shifts that are happening, how, what, what can we do? What can women do within their communities? I know there's already so much being done by us, but how can we, what can we do? Yeah, I think one of the things that have, that we've seen in our work that has been the most powerful organizing force has been people being willing to share their stories. When we hear the stories of Serena Williams and Beyonce, and it really does help to shift the culture. It helps to bring more folks into the conversation and it helps people see themselves reflected because a lot of folks hold on to these stories because they are so traumatic, unfortunately. And, but when people hear other folks share their stories. It builds our power. It builds our connection to each other. And so then that then builds our organizing power to move the work the way that we need to. So I think that's one of the biggest things. It's just like when you have the opportunity to share your story and to let folks know what you've experienced so that continues to build, again, build our power. That's number one. Number two, there's ways that folks can really start to organize now. Black Maternal Health Week is definitely coming up in the month of April. Um, So that's something that people can get connected to uh, by following the Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Sister Song has some really amazing programming that we're going to be doing during that week as well. But there are ways that folks can get connected to the advocacy organizing side of this through these weeks of action and things of the sort. That's a great place to get some political education. It's a great place to be able to find community and to really see um, what is available, right, in terms of resources in your community all across the country, because this is a national week of action. And so folks from all over the country will be participating. And that's a way for folks to get connected. The other way is to advocate on behalf of what your communities need at your state capitals, right? Like they are going through these budgets. They have elected officials that you can call, write, email, text to let them know that there are you want to understand what's happening with maternal health care in your state. How are they making sure that our budgets are including this? How are they reallocating in the ways that they need to or putting more money where they need to? So that is what we really need for folks to do is to understand that your voice is powerful, right? To tell your own story, but to also advocate for your needs. And so those are just some ways that folks can get connected. If you feel called to this work, think about becoming a birth worker and getting that education to support other Black women, other birthing people to be able to have healthy pregnancies and healthy births. We need like, I'm so excited to see so many folks like turning 
towards birth work, right? It's almost like there's a resurgence of just like birth workers coming back to, mm-hmm. to this tradition, to this practice. And we just need more folks, right, who are willing to do that. So I think that's another way that folks can really support is to get connected in that way too. So again, sharing your story, amplifying the work of organizations, using your social media, all the way to being up at your state capitol demanding <laughs> that maternal health care is, is prioritized in your state. So there's all kinds of ways to get connected all in between that. Oh my gosh, Monica, you just listed everything that is needed and more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just like speechless because it's, it's really important because you look at the beauty of motherhood, but it really is a lot. You can die if you don't have the proper health care. You can die if you're not set up properly for the experience. So it's just so important that you are doing this work. And also thank you for listing some of the ways that uh, women can really advocate for that, especially in the doula community. This has been such a dynamic discussion. I'm actually going to kick it to Crystal because we have a question for you before we close out. Right, Monica, we just want to say thank you for being on the show. And we just so admire you. But what is the impact that you want to leave on the world? Oh, that's such a big question. But I appreciate it. And thank you all so much for having me on and for uplifting reproductive justice, birth justice. And I'm just I'm really grateful for what you all are creating with this platform. And the impact I want to have on the world, I think for me, I want to ensure that other little Black girls who look like me, who talk like me, who come from the places I come from, who've experienced the things that I've experienced, are able to live a life where they can not be shamed, where they can heal, where they can thrive, and to be able to live into their destiny. And if I can do anything in this world that removes barriers, that reduces and dismantles stigma and oppression, to, to ensure that's the type of world that the next little Black girl would look like me can live into, that's what I'm purposing to do. So that's the impact I hope to have. How can people follow you, learn more? We want to make sure yes. that you are getting followed. That Yes. So <laughs> please follow the work of Sister Song first and foremost. It's my political home and it can be your political home too. We are a national membership organization and we do amazing work. I and mean, you can follow us on all social media channels at Sister Song underscore W-O-C. That's at Sister Song underscore W-O-C. You can also find us on our website, Sister Song dot net. And you can also follow me. I'll be out here trying to say some things sometime and talk about some things. And I'm at Monica R. Simpson on Twitter and at Artivist, A-R-T-I-V-I-S-T, Monica Ray on IG, because not only am I the executive director of Sister Song, but I am a cultural strategist and I am an artist, singer, songwriter. And so my the, the big piece of my work is to create um, as much beautiful and to create curate, I should say, as much beautiful art um, and music in the world as possible. So that's what also pushes me as a leader as well. So please follow us. Thank you for the takeaways. And we appreciate you for being on the show. So 
And thank you all for listening to P.S. Blossom. So make sure that you are following us on Instagram, Twitter at P.S. underscore Blossom. And don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend. And also we want to hear from you. So email us at Blossom at reaventures.org. Ask a question, share some love, just say hi. We want to hear from you. So thank you for tuning in and have a great day. Please be sure to like, subscribe, leave comments, and share.